Well, Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for who you created us to be, which is conformed to your image as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Like, it is our privilege that we get to be conformed. And so we say yes to that, and we give you full permission in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, as uh, the last couple of weeks, the Lord's kind of shifted things here. Uh, I I was joking um, kind of with uh, Steve last night, and I said, maybe we need to consider this becoming an, a series because we're kind of still in the centrality of Jesus. But it really looks like uh, we're on like week three, four, five, you know, it's going to continue on kingdom culture out of this prayer that Christy Whitlock prayed to the Lord at Prayer Shield, and um, he's just not stopping. And what's awesome is we're going to let him continue down whatever path he wants us to. Amen? And so, um, and there were some handouts given out back there. We have no slides, but you don't have to have one for right now, but I highly encourage you to be sure and grab one on your way out because it is... um, some things that we are called to here as a corporate body that you will want to take home with you and you will want to dig into. But um, in July, Christy had this question uh, at Prayer Shield. She was digging into um, a scripture in Isaiah and about sanctuary and about how it's not a place we gather, but like it's a place of surrender. And she said, she asked this question to herself, like, are we living apart from the world and choosing to be connected to God. And so as she began to meditate on that question for herself, she started writing a prayer to the Lord. And this is it. Lord, give us the courage to live different than what our culture says is normal. Help us to choose connection to you that is of such significance that we begin to let go of the ways our society says we should think and operate. And instead, embrace your kingdom culture. Show us, Father, what that looks like. Let us be spirit-led moment by moment so that we can separate from what is normal to embrace all that you have called us to. There is so much in that prayer. So much. Not just about embracing his kingdom culture for us, but having him show us as a corporate body, but also as individuals, what does that look like? What does it really look like to embrace the culture of your kingdom? And what does it look like to live separate from what is normal so we can embrace all that he has for us? There is so much in the fact that we do not embrace all that he has for us. When you really sit and think about it, it's all about lordship. It is all about lordship. And Steve shared in, uh, as we've been the last two weeks in this kingdom culture, he talks about like we are, are to announce, but we are to embrace and also build his kingdom culture. And so embracing it, you need to embrace your true identity and who you are in Christ, right? You need to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, like Jesus came to 
bring back the plunder of the things the enemy stole, right? And he showed us how to do it. And then he told us, like, this is what you do as well. Embrace Jesus' lordship over every area. And uh, like we only possess the Father's kingdom through surrender. And that is it. That's the only way that we can produce, we can embrace his kingdom, which is just lordship, rule and reign in our life. And then he talked about how the Lord had really been showing him a divided Steve will fall, but an undivided Steve will stand. And that is true for every single one of us. If we are undivided, we will be able to possess the kingdom of God, the lordship of Jesus ruling and reigning in our life. And then he talked about embracing the healing and health of God's kingdom and uh, talked about that just a while ago. But I encourage you, like if you missed either one of the last two weeks, go back. The audio is on our website as well as the video Um, go back and get into those scriptures, get into those truths that the Lord wants to permeate and make real in your heart and uh, dig into those. But the last two messages, I found this fascinating. Steve would say, and this this is on your handout, he would say, in announcing, embracing, and building God's kingdom culture, we are absolutely certain of who we are, how we behave, and what we do as kingdom citizens. Now think, think about that. If you are 100% absolutely certain of who you are, how you behave, and what you do as a kingdom citizen, not as an individual, not in your, uh, not in your desires of your sin nature, your flesh nature, but as a kingdom citizen, like it will build a culture of the kingdom of God and lordship in you, in your home, in your work environment, in your school environment, in the stores you go in, like you will be able to create a culture. And so what you value and what you put your attention on is what creates culture. So if you go into my home, there is going to be mess. There will be lots of sand, probably lots of water. Annie was over Friday night and she was like, where is a towel so I can get up all this water? Why? Because we got kids coming in from playing in the water. We've got Nerf bullets on the floor. It is loud. I will probably apologize to you several times for something, you know, because it's just a culture of fun. Why? Because that's what we value in our home, right? You'll also hear worship music going most all the time in our home. Like we value that. And, um, it's something that you will see as part of our culture. I also have a culture in my home that you don't ring the doorbell. In fact, I really did not want to put a doorbell on our house when we built the home and the electrician said, I really think you should reconsider that. (laughs) Amazon might appreciate it. (laughs) I said, well, that's true, right? But, but that's the way we are. If, if we've invited you in, like it's, You come in and you make yourself at home. And that's the culture that we create. So just like that, if you know who you are, how you behave, and what you do as a kingdom citizen, you're going to create a culture of the kingdom within you and around you. And so who are you? Like we corporately, I hope you as a kingdom citizen, are a people that advance his kingdom one heart at a time. 
If you know anything about Grace Church, that is our vision here. Like we are partnering together for the common mission and vision of why we exist on this earth is to advance his kingdom one heart at a time. Not to do church, not to do even outreaches. Outreaches do advance his kingdom and doing church helps advance his kingdom. But like we are the bigger picture in advancing his kingdom one heart at a time. And what is the kingdom? It's God's order here on earth. It is the way we were designed to live. It is Jesus's lordship in your life. That is what the kingdom of God is. And I think that is a foundational thing that sometimes we miss. We talk about the kingdom. We talk about advancing it. But what really is it? And so everything that you saw Jesus come and announce and manifest and speak and demonstrate is the kingdom of God. It's the order of God. Jesus was so connected to the Father in surrender and lordship, like the Father owned everything about him. Therefore, he was able to manifest the kingdom of God. And so how do we behave then if we're a people that are together advancing God's kingdom one heart at a time, what does that look like? What does that culture, what's that behavior? And so we are a people that we look through God's new covenant economy. Like we don't look through transactional lenses anymore, which is the old covenant. And so we relate to God as knowing that he is Christ-like. And my 11-year-old son has something burning in his heart. He has talked about it all weekend long. Annie came over. He had to share it with him. He had to email Steve. Like it's the, it is just all the time. And he's like, Mom, we've got to collaborate. We got to collaborate with Choctaw Road. We got to do this thing. We got to do this. And he started outlining like this message. He's like, and when Steve preaches, these need to be the topics that we cover. And I'm like, okay. I said, now, are you going to submit it? Yes. And what if it doesn't happen? I'll be fine with it. But like, and I said, right, because you might do this in 20 years, you know, trying to teach him like he may see things before they come, right? But, but I loved what he said about this. He said the very first thing that everybody needs to know Because, like, he's got vision. He's inviting the entire town of Oklahoma City. Like, he's got these teams that are going to go out and do these signs, and it's all kinds of stuff. I'm like, wow, 11 years old. And um, he said the first thing that everybody that comes needs to know is why Jesus is, like, why Jesus came. Why, Why did he come? And I was like, okay, I was getting ready for him to say, he died on the cross, he saved us from hell, he gave put us in heaven. And he's like, he came to reveal God's true nature to all of us. And he came to give us a new covenant. And I was like, oh, if I'm like 45 and just kind of entering into walking in that window, that lens, or I'm fixing to be 45. But like, And he's 11 as already seeing like Jesus came to reveal the true nature of God and to give us a new covenant to operate in. Like that's how he behaves as a kingdom citizen, knowing that God is Christ-like, knowing it's not about heaven and hell, but that's a byproduct. But knowing that the kingdom of God manifested here on earth is the assignment and looking through the new covenant of of towards people and towards God. And so that's how we behave. We live in the economy 
not of if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. But instead, because I have everything given to me in life and godliness, whether my life is great or not, I'm going to love you anyway. And that's the economy of the new covenant. Also, we live connected to him. And so the best way that I can explain this and and how I visualize it, it's like an umbilical cord. So when, when I was pregnant with my oldest biological son, about 18, 20 weeks, we had the ultrasound, found out it was a boy, and she was just a little quiet while she was doing the ultrasound, and um, she said, hey, I'm going to get with your doctor, and, um, and she'll be getting with you. And I was like, hmm, all right, well, this is my first biological baby. This seems a little out of, you know, maybe okay. And so, needless to say, Waylon had a cord insertion problem. So his umbilical cord obviously was connected because he was still growing. I was growing. He was growing. He had a heartbeat, you know, all of those things. But there was something there with the cord that wasn't right. And so as time went on and we were working with the specialist, um, he was just so perplexed. He could not figure out at all like what was supposed to happen, like when Wayland should be delivered and all of this. And I started cluing in to like, hey, I think this is a little bit serious, right? And so what the doctor was trying to do is to keep Wayland living connected to me because I was his source in that womb for growth, for nutrients, for everything he needed, Right? And so at delivery, even, we didn't even realize the magnitude of it until she went to do the C-section. And the cord actually was not even inserted as it was supposed to in the placenta. It was inserted, it was attached by three little bitty veins. And what the concern was is if those veins, if he got too heavy, those veins would break and he would disconnect from me. And they said within a matter of minutes, we would die. Well, I'm so glad they didn't tell me that because I was like all optimistic on top of the world. I was going in. I had to go in every other day for this non-stress test thing. They'd put this thing on me and watch all this stuff. And they said, well, we'll check you in 45 minutes and tell you if it passed. Well, within five, I knew I passed because I got so good at reading them because I was there all the time. So I just buzzed the nurses and say, hey, you passed. Will you come check this? And they're like, how do you know? You know, and but it. Because I had faith, I was healed. I've had five major man, major physical healings in my body. And one, I was not supposed to be able to have children. And I had a, I had a miscarriage before Waylon. And then I knew, like, I was healed, right? Because I was pregnant, even though I miscarried. And so it's, it's that living connected to him. The way Waylon was able to get what he needed was to remain connected. And so just like with us, if we are going to remain connected, we have to attach to stay. So ways to do that, worship, prayer, um, reading the scriptures, and sitting in his presence. And when you do those things, then when you get up and you're finished, like you choose to stay in that posture and in that mindset of that umbilical cord is staying attached all day long. It's not something that I'm going to detach and come back to. And that's how we behave as a kingdom citizen. We also get our identity in Christ. 
Like, there are so many things of this world, including the enemy, that wants to give us our identity, including our own thoughts, our own emotions, like things within our soul realm. We want to say things, and even not even horrible things, like I'm introvert or extrovert. I like hugs or I don't. I can't, uh, I can't function in the morning without coffee. That is a lie. Do not get your identity from that, right? Right? But think about it. Like, but we live, we behave by getting our identity from Christ and not by anything else. We also behave by putting God on display. And this is, yes, in your community. Yes, July 2nd when we had the outreach. But it's also in your own home. Like, we behave by putting God on display within our own home to the people we live with, to the people that give us a phone call, to the people at Walmart. We can put God on display to them or we can put our flesh and the world on display. Really easy, right? Yeah? And we also behave by making disciples. We choose to intentionally invest in somebody, not for our benefit, but for theirs to grow in Christ, to mature, to be strengthened, to become so confident in the authority of the one that lives within them. And that's what we behave, how we behave. And then what do we do in action is we make disciples who abide in him, who walk in his ways, which means his character and his nature is formed within us, We learn to hear his voice and our obedience to that voice is the fruit of things. And then out of staying connected to him and his character, then we go and do his works. And so if we're announcing, embracing, and building a kingdom culture, and it is important that we know who we are, how we behave, and what we do, like I encourage you to set with these things. If you didn't get a handout, get one and set in these because this is the this is the assignment and the call of Grace Church. Like we've been we've been sitting with the Lord for what Scott 6 8 months maybe once a week intentionally coming together and saying what did the Lord show you this week about these things? Who we are, how do we behave and what do we do? And that's what it is. So grab that, take it home, Ask the Lord, like, what is my role in this? What am I embracing? What am I determined to live out? And what am I not? Um, because it's important. And so I want to go um, real quick to Matthew 11. So if you guys will go there. Like I said, we have no, you know, slides or anything. Um, All right, Matthew 11, we're going to, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 7. Anybody there? You guys ready to go? Because as kingdom citizens, we need to know what it actually looks like. To, to have lordship in our life, right? Because to walk out these things, he has to be lord. He has to. 
It doesn't happen any other way. All right, starting in verse 7. So um, John the Baptist is in um, prison, I guess, or jail. I don't know what they called it back then, right? He's in, he is locked up, and he sent his disciples um, to go to Jesus to say, like, who are you, and are you the Messiah, are you the one? And Jesus said, tell John the things that you've seen and tell John the things that you've heard. And, and uh, I go back to that scripture where it says, if you don't believe in me, believe in the works that I do. And um, that's, a, that's a practical example of what that means. And so they, they go back and they tell John. But <clears throat> in verse 7 it says, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. So there's a huge crowd there, right? Multitudes. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? So he's speaking to these people that have gone out into the wilderness, which we know that's where John the Baptist lived, in the wilderness. If you know anything about John the Baptist, you've probably seen some, I don't know, caveman-looking picture with somebody like that. And so these people have all gone into the wilderness to see this prophet. Okay, I don't know how far you guys drove to church, but some people move 20 minutes away and they're like, man, we're going to find a church closer to home. Right? But these people walked like five hours (laughs) to go see John the Baptist in a wilderness. And not just that, they could have been killed for it because John was not somebody that anybody wanted to mess with. Like, they, people were killed because they were hanging out with John the Baptist. They didn't want anything, like the political leaders, the religious leaders, all of these people were against him. And so he's like, why did you come out here? But what did you go to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are kings in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And verse 11, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, what are they talking about here? The kingdom of heaven is the new covenant. Okay? So right now they're living in the dispensation or the uh, time period of the old covenant. And John the Baptist is in the old covenant. So of born of women, there's not one greater than. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So in the new covenant that God offered to us when Jesus' blood was shed on the cross and then he rose, we were offered a new covenant, just like Wyatt was talking about. People need to know why Jesus came. And it was to reveal that God is Christ-like and that he offered us a new covenant. And so... If, if we had all of us in the room and we were lined up from least to greatest, which sounds so weird, the least of us is greater than John the Baptist, who was the greatest born of women to that time. 
So think about all of your Old Testament heroes. John the Baptist was greater than them. And then verse 12 says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So when you eat that scripture, when it says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, that is a verb. So it is opposition in action that the kingdom of God suffers. So today we've talked about it. With the, with the illnesses going around, like the kingdom of God is suffering violence. There is action coming against and opposing the things of the kingdom. And it's attacking your belief systems. It's giving you doubt. It's giving you fear, worry, anxiety, if you let it, right? You have a choice here on lordship. Am I going to let those things be lord or am I going to let him be lord? But then when it says... The violent take it by force. That is actually, um, like in the original, it talks about the violent people, the violent men, the violent people take it by force. And that is a noun. So like when you talk, when we talk about how we behave and we behave knowing what our identity in Christ is, part of your identity in Christ is you are violent. Think about that. Part of, like right here, it's a noun. If you are violent, like if you're in the kingdom, you are to be violent. That is part of your identity. Now you can choose to live in the reality of that identity or you can choose not to. But what that word means, it doesn't mean like we, we say a lot here, like Jesus didn't come with tanks and guns and, you know, like all that stuff to, to come and bring force. But that word is intentionality. That word is radical pursuit. That word is something like you go after with like this pit bull tenacity and you're not letting go. Like that is part of your identity. It doesn't mean you're loud. It doesn't mean you're forceful. But it means within yourself, you are violent towards the kingdom. And the things of it to bring back, not just the plunder that the enemy stole. Like right now, he's trying to steal some health from people. Well, if you're a violent person towards the kingdom, you're tenacious about standing in the fact that as a kingdom citizen, you have divine health offered to you. Does that make sense? And so it's a noun. It's your identity. It's what it comes from. It's a spiritual violence. It's not a violence of this world. It's, it's so good. All right, verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who, who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to who shall I liken this generation? This is a very important thing. Jesus is saying right here. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling out to their companions. So picture this. We're all hanging out in Choctaw Plaza, okay? We're all hanging out. And I go, hey, Solomon, how are you? I'm calling out to my friend, to my companion. He's calling back to me, right? But it's like the children saying to each other, We played the flute for you, 
and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. Now, that's kind of a verse that you're like, what in the world does that mean, right? And so when you look at it, when they're saying like, there was a song of celebration when the flute played and you did not embrace the celebration of who you are, who you are as a kingdom citizen, the privileges that you have, the freedom you have, the identity you have, like the fact that the Lord, you are the bride of Christ and he has brought you into union and oneness. But then it goes in to say, and we mourn to you, um, some translations actually say, like, we played a funeral dirge. So, like, a mourning, and a fu- like, if you were at a funeral, and the, the casket is coming by, they took him through the streets back then, and, like, the funeral dirge was playing, and you did not even mourn. And so what does that mean for us? Like, when the Lord has beckoned us to say, hey, this is an area that you have not given me lordship in, This is an area of a sin pattern that I want you to say no to because I want to bring more authority, like more boldness, confidence, and demonstration in your life and more transformation. And you don't say yes. That's what it means. And so he's saying, like, I'm asking you to mourn your sin patterns. I'm asking you to mourn the things, the areas that I haven't given you lordship over. And you're not mourning with it. You're not, you're not going along with the time and the season and the rhythm that I'm asking you to be in. And so that's, that's what the children are saying to each other. Then verse 18, it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton, a wine-briber, a friend of tax collectors, sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children." So what does all of this say? Like, what does this mean for us and Grace Church and kingdom culture and who we are and how we behave and what we do? What it means is the Lord is at, like, this is, a, this is an intense, deep passage in Matthew 11. And the Lord is offering us, will you surrender your all and make him Lord? Or will you continue to ignore the flute of celebration or the mourning of the funeral dirge? Like, will you continue to stay in passivity? Will you continue to to just drive into service for 20 minutes? Will you continue to set with the Lord in the mornings because it's what you're supposed to do? Are you going to be violent towards the kingdom to take hold full force with tenacity, with that pit bull intensity, to bring back the things of the kingdom that are granted to you as privilege, to stir up within your mind, your will, and emotions the the things of the kingdom. Because the kingdom suffers opposition. And so when there's transition, there is an opposition not only in the natural, like what we're seeing, seeing this week with some, with some sickness, but it's also in the spiritual. And this, is a, this transition is from one covenant to another right here in the scripture. So are you going to embrace the old covenant and the things where you have to work for your healing? 
where you have to work for your sins to be forgiven, where you have to work for these things? Are you going to embrace the transition that's offered to you in the new covenant? And are you going to say yes to that completely, like with wholeheartedness, with complete abandonment, like a dedication, a, um, a spiritual violence, a radical pursuit of the things of the Lord. It's not enough to just be sincere, but we also must be responsive to him. So just like the flute and the song of celebration is played, are we going to respond in celebration with him for the things that he is to us, like not is to us as in benefits, but like his character and his nature and the fact that our father is Christ-like. And when the funeral dirge, when the mourning is called, are we going to repent? Are we going to press into repentance on behalf of us and every generation before us and every generation ahead of us? It's wholeheartedness. That's what he's after here. It's what he's after everywhere. But it's what he is after. The principle of this violence, like this noun, that we are to be part of our identity, is to enter it with intentionality. It is violent to enter into wholeheartedness. You don't just slip into being wholehearted. It doesn't happen by accident. It's intentionality. It's disruptive, it's costly, it's painful, it's confusing at times and perplexing. Sometimes we're unsure, we're discompobulated. Like, and why? Because we're a people with unrenewed minds. We are a people, like when I got up this morning and got ready, I was like, wow, all right, where are we going today, Lord? (laughs) And he said, you need to get up. You need to go into the office. So I got here early. And uh, instead, I detoured to McDonald's. And I got a frozen Dr. Pepper. <laughs> right? Because that's what I wanted. And what did the Lord tell me to do? He said, get up and go to the church. Now, I didn't ask if I could have a frozen Dr. Pepper. You may have been fine with it. But it does not help with my divine healing and health. But I know that. And I have not made him Lord over my soft, a soft drink chest, but I have not made him Lord over the beverages that I take in because I take in one almost every day, a frozen Dr. Pepper. It is good for me. Some of you guys have coffee, right? Right? And so think about that. Like, are we going to let the Lord change the appetites, not just of our food and our drink, but of the things of him? Are we going to enter into wholeheartedness with him? Are we going to embrace the kingdom culture that he has for us? Like he came, Jesus came with a heart that was completely surrendered to the Father. A wholeheartedness. And it was perplexing to people. The political realm was totally perplexed. The religious, whether it was the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Jewish people, like it didn't make any sense to them because the kingdom is upside down to our natural thinking, but the kingdom is so supernatural, it is actually natural. It is the way we are designed to live. 
It is the way we are designed to intake. And so, like, when I talk about it's not enough to be sincere, like, first service was really awesome. And second service worship was great. Ministry was great. But, like, that's not enough. That's what he's saying. It's not enough for you to settle into half-heartedness and to just be sincere about who Jesus is. And it says like John was the last of the prophets of the old covenant, but he was the greatest of all old covenant people. But think about this. If you are in Christ, you have offered to you a new covenant. Am I right? And you can either choose to live in that economy as your reality or you can choose to live in a covenant that honestly wasn't even offered to you. But you can live there and it can produce things that aren't of the Lord. It will produce transactional relationships within your own heart as well as you to other people. So as a person in the new covenant, that's us, if we have more available to us than the greatest in the old covenant, we have more available to us than John the Baptist, who was greater than David and Moses and Abraham and Solomon and Esther, Hannah, like all these people, right? We have more privileges offered to us in the realm of the kingdom by the covenant that we are offered. So why would John, with less privileges and lots more limitations, why should he be the one that presses in with full abandonment? But those of us that have been given the new covenant as part of our um, oneness with Christ, why would we respond in a lesser way? than full abandonment and wholeheartedness. Think about that. It's a violence that creates things in the atmosphere and in the culture that our unrenewed minds can't even fathom because we step into experience after experience after experience rather than stepping into everything that he has offered to us in this covenant. Stephen, you guys can come. So I've heard it said, like the verse 17, where it says, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned and you didn't mourn. Like I've heard it talk about, like, that's the time, the Kairos time, like an appointed time in our life, not like chronological, like right now it's 12 and then it's one and then it's two. But like it's the time in our life where we learn the rhythms of the Lord. When is he asking us to celebrate with him? And when is he asking us to press in with repentance? Like when we can discern the times, the rhythm of the Lord. Like that's another part of us being wholehearted with him. So I want to read this story for you. If you guys will go ahead and stand. I just want to read this for you. There was a beautiful pearl for sale. And this buyer said, I want this pearl. How much is it? 
And the seller said, it is very expensive. Well, how much? And it's a large amount. Well, do you think I can buy it? Well, yes, everyone can buy it. Well, how much is it? What's everything you have? So the buyer thinks a little bit. He says, all right, well, I'll buy it. So what do you have? Says the seller. Well, I have 10000 in the bank. Good then. 10000 that's great. What else? Well, that's all I have. I mean, I might have a few dollars in my pocket. Okay. What else? Where do you live? Well, I live in a house. And sometimes I live in a camper when I go places. Okay. Well, I'll take the house and the camper too. Well, I'll have to sleep in my car. You have a car? No, I have three cars. Well, I'll take them too. So you have my money, my house, my camper, all of my cars. What more do you want? The seller says, well, are you alone in this world? No, I have a wife and four sons. I'll take those two then. Then all that's left is myself. I am alone then. And the seller says, well, I will take yourself too then. And the seller pauses for a bit and says, I will let you use all of these things for the time being. Don't forget, though, that they are mine. Just as you are. And at any time you are asked, you will need to give them up because I am now the owner. The word Lord means absolute ownership rights. So just like this morning, when I got up and I got ready, I asked the Lord what I was going to do because I hadn't prepped anything for today. And he said, I want you to get ready and go to the office. Well, instead I took a detour and I went to McDonald's at I-40 and Choctaw Road and got me an icy because that's what I wanted. And I didn't include him in it. He probably would have been just fine with me getting it. But it was my decision. I didn't let him have ownership rights of that moment. And that's what I'm talking about. Like to go in wholeheartedness without just sincerity is total abandonment for the things of the kingdom and what he wants for us. And it's that pit bull tenacity like that doesn't let go. Some of you guys are probably pit bull fans. I know some of you are owners. Some of us are not. But my stepsister, when she was young, got attacked by her dad's pit bull. And they could not get it to let go. Like, that's a tragic thing. She's fine. She's had some plastic surgery and a little bit of trauma. But think about the tenacity of you being pit bull focused where you lock in and you never let go on the things of the kingdom. Not just to bring back the plunder because of your own good and to make your life better, but because you're a kingdom citizen that is designed to have that culture in your life, in your home, in your workplace. Like when Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is about bringing the culture of heaven here. It is not about us like coming to services or driving a few miles to go get our fix or even sitting with the Lord every day. 
It is about total abandonment, giving ourselves in every situation. And when we realize we aren't, what we do is we repent. There's no shame in it. It's all the time. We are human beings. So when we notice it, we repent. And what that means is we just stop and we turn around. And sometimes we have to sit with him and sit with him until he changes our mind to stop and turn around. But we do it. It's like in basketball. Any of you guys played basketball and you had a jump stop? Like that's what it is. Repenting means you jump stop, you pivot on that foot, and you go the other way. It's exactly what it is. And so whether you sit with him and sit with him until he changes your mind to turn the other way or until or unless it's like an immediate thing, you see it, you recognize it, and you do it. Like he's just asking us for all our, all of us for his all. Like it's not because he's abusive. It's not because he's um, going to hurt us. Like he created us. He designed every one of you to be who you are. In all of your beautiful components of your mind, your body, like everything. And so are we going to turn all of that back over to him? Are we going to keep it and try to be Lord of ourselves? So what I want to ask of you, like some of you may already know the answer. I've seen the Lord move on a few of you. Some of you already know the answer and like you want this abandonment. You want this wholeheartedness. You may not have a clue how to get there, but you know you want it. Like it bears witness inside of you. If that's you, I want you to respond. Whether you come up or you raise your hands, I don't care. But then those of you that are willing to set on this and to think about this, like you're not sure if you're ready to go wholehearted. You're not sure if you're willing to go in with full abandon. But like there's something inside of you that says, I'm going to ponder this and I'm going to think about this. Like I'm going to, I'm going to look into these scriptures. I'm going to think on these things. Like I want you to respond and whatever that is. And I want to pray over us. Is that fair? Is that good? All right. Well, Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for the new covenant that you gave us in Christ. Father, we thank you for our identity as kingdom citizens. To be able to choose you as Lord. To be able to give you absolute ownership rights. We thank you that you are a gentleman who is kind and loving to us. But Father, we thank you that you are a good Father that disciplines us and calls us up into who we are in Christ. When we are not living out our true identity. And so, Father, those that are saying yes right now, whether they know what it looks like to be walked out or not, I thank you for your empowering grace that comes upon them every time that they surrender to you, that they give themselves to you. There's an empowering grace that comes upon them to know how to choose your choices, to know how to agape o, to walk out love and obedience. And Father, those that are pledging to set with this. Father, I ask that you answer their questions this week. Like you speak to their heart. Father, we've driven out doubt and fear and intimidation and all of those things today. And so I just ask, like with all of those gone, that they have the they have the boldness and the confidence to know that they have the authority within them to hear your voice and to respond. And like you are asking for us to be a responsive people, 
You're asking us to be ones that respond to who you are. So we say yes. And Father, if there's anybody in this room that has not accepted you, I ask that you move upon their heart so they can embrace every privilege that comes with bringing your kingdom culture here as a chosen and a desired child of yours. Father, that they would be able to receive the new covenant that is offered before them as choosing you as Savior and learning what it looks like to be Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If that is you and you have not received him and you want in this new covenant, come up here and we will be honored to pray for you. And if... And if any of you need prayer, come up. We'll pray for you. Love you guys. Thank you. you. You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom, one heart at a time. For more, visit us online at gracechurch.community.